Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a new budget cycle begins with new rules and the security journey for health IT leaders. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. A CIO council working groups developing a strategy for zero trust implementation with budget uncertainty. CISA senior cyber architect Sean Connolly says the interagency zero trust leadership steering group meets about once a month. Connolly says agencies are starting to see money specifically for their zero trust programs. You can read more about this story. Lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The deputy national security advisor for cyber and emerging technology and Newberger and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's happening September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup and sign up through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. Agencies have a September 12th deadline to get budget documents into the Office of Management and Budget. The documents that are due then, though, are for fiscal 2024. Jonathan Albums, Federal Chief Technology Officer and Principal Digital Strategist at ServiceNow. He's former Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You and other experts educated me early on that the federal government's always working on three budgets. There are three cycles at any given time. There's the one that we're in now. There's the one that Congress is working on for uh, at the present time. That's 2023. And the documents that I referenced, OMB's waiting to hear from agencies on 2024. What does that look like now that we're a couple of years into this administration and, and tying those budget requests to what they're trying to accomplish through the president's management agenda? Welcome, Jonathan. Uh, thanks, Francis. That's a, that's a great question. And I think when I look at uh, the kinds of policy documents that the administration's put out over the first approximately two years, I think you can see a lot of connectivity between what budget requests have looked like in the past, what they're going to look like going forward, and a connection to things like the president's management agenda, um, the cybersecurity executive order, the customer experience executive order. Uh, very recently, there was a, a OMB memo on um, the uh, future of workspaces and capital planning around real property. And I, I suspect that there'll be budget requests and uh, expectations for agencies to be thinking about what their future workspaces look like and how those um, physical locations support the hybrid approach to work that so many of us are are thinking about as well. I'm fascinated by the future of workspaces concept, Jonathan, because agencies have to plan. They have to write these budget documents, but we don't know what the future of workspaces looks like even for 2023, let alone 24 and beyond, do we? No, I don't think we do. I don't don't know that in 2023 you'll see much difference, but I suspect if you look at the uh, that recently released OMB memo, I think it's uh, uh, OMB uh, 22-14, you'll see that uh, there's planning and expectations for the 24 to 28 years. So uh, my uh, intuition tells me that in the um, upcoming budget cycle, agencies will be expected to provide a vision for what their future workspaces look like. And that, it you know, I think it's important that we're not focused strictly on the real property in the physical location, because to slim down office space, you you just can't um, get, you, you certainly can get out of a lease and have less physical space, but you need the 
infrastructure to support having less space, meaning some kind of workplace services delivery capability, uh, reservation management system for employees to reserve uh, spaces, um, capabilities for um, you know employees to collaborate uh, very very freely. The right video conferencing technology. Nobody wants to be in a uh, hybrid meeting where you're home on um, Zoom and the people in the conference room that you're meeting with are uh, far away and you can't see them and you can't read their facial expressions and you can't interact the same way that we do uh, over you know home based uh, uh, systems today. So all those are considerations I think for going to an environment with with less space. So we need to have employee ready working environments. We need to be planning for this now. We need to have uh, capabilities for teams to, to work effectively, irrespective of, of where the people are. And I think some organizations are already making these investments, but I think they're going to be broader than um, you know agencies can necessarily afford right now. So I, I would expect this slimming down of office space and these related capabilities being um, a focus area for 24 and beyond. You know real estate, but you're not a real estate person by profession. Connect what you just laid out there as far as establishing a vision for an agency's real estate footprint and, and workspace to what a technology leader should be thinking about uh, in government today. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not just about the uh, connectivity between locations or the ability to use um, video conferencing technologies from home, uh, but, but really, uh, what are the processes and procedures for having less space to make sure that work continues um, as effectively or more effectively um, in, in the future? So, you know, when people come into an office uh, today, visitors, it can be kind of an arduous uh, procedure. So what are the right kinds of uh, security protocols, check-in procedures, maybe health checks, if we're, we're still thinking about it uh, that way? Uh, you know, additionally, um, what are the mobile experiences that employees will be able to have as they reserve spaces and they move throughout, you know, a building or if um, you're consolidating locations into a few and you have a lot of new people in spaces they're not familiar with. Are there, um, you know, mapping capabilities for people to find a uh, location inside a building or a workspace that is uh, maybe connected to the work they're doing or the teams that they're collaborating with? I think there's a lot of, um, you know, devil in the details, if you will, around having effective um, uh, technology solutions to support less uh, less physical space. And I just think we can't think only about reducing um, the real estate footprint without thinking about how some of those funds can support technologies for workspace services delivery and related capabilities. It seems what you're talking about there, Jonathan, is primarily tactical and primarily micro. How does this affect a, t a small team or an individual employee? What does that look like from a macro tactical perspective? What should agencies be thinking about broadly across their enterprises? And does this change the way that maybe you redesign, re-engineer, rethink the broader infrastructure of the enterprise? Yeah, I, I, I'd answer your question by, um, you know, sort of thinking about the first pillar of the president's management agenda around strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. So, you know, it's no secret that we need to recruit um, the next generation of federal workers. Um, Gen Z is entering the workforce today. And when you look at um, Gen Z and the things that they value, 
Uh, it's work-life balance and it's flexible work and flexible workspaces and training and development kinds of kinds of opportunities. And, you know, they want cutting edge technology to do their jobs. They want to have a technology experience uh, at work that's similar to what they have at home. So when you think about the need to bring in uh, this next generation of workers and you think about the things that they um appreciate based on based on research and coll collaboration and those kinds of tools i think that becomes uh an, uh an overlay for how we're redesigning our um our workspaces what they look like where they might be uh, i think it becomes an overlay for how we um, staff our teams in our agencies not everybody needs to be in the dc area so you can hire uh, a software developer who works uh, in, a, in another geographic location, if you have the right tools, and we know we have them uh, the, for collaboration and the right policies and procedures around creating these teams and agencies are working on those things now. So I think we take what we, we know about this next generation of workers. I think we take the policies, uh, procedures that agencies have worked on and all of the um, you know activity around this future of work and related technologies, and we build uh, our workspaces and we build our uh, related infrastructures to support those workspaces with a big goal in mind of making sure that we have the next generation coming in who have, uh, you know, a new, a different way of looking at uh, the world and solving problems, have data skills, which are really important for the future of our federal government and, and have uh, the desire to make a real social impact. And if we can bring that that group in because we have a uh, physical environment, technology environment that supports them, and those are real important factors for, for these guys, then um, you know we're, we're thinking about our workspaces as a strategic tool to get to a, uh, um, a better federal government. So the overlay for all of that, Jonathan, is cybersecurity. And I wonder what that looks like in your view, given that, okay, if we're going to have a dispersed workforce and we're going to try to build the cybersecurity infrastructure that the administration has proposed in the cyber EO and uh, the zero trust work and so on, what, what has to happen? What do you expect to see manifest itself in these budget documents when we get a chance to look at them? Yeah, so I think that there's, um, you know, so zero trust, as you just mentioned, uh, and the, the cyber EO, and again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, those things have, I think there's connectivity between those policy expectations and what budget requests might look like. So when you think about implementing um, zero trust and you think about the complexity of the work environment we're talking about, um, it's really important to know what are all of the systems and all of the technologies that are running on these dispersed networks and these this geographically dispersed organizations? So, I think that the um, you know concepts around uh, uh, IT asset management, software asset management, and hardware asset management are critically important. You know, you can't protect things in your environment that you don't know exist in your environment. So, agencies need the tools and capabilities to fully document and understand what they have. And then when you think about, uh, you know, moving forward on their zero trust journeys and agencies submitted plans around zero trust, you need to know what you have, but you also need to understand how these technologies are used, where they're used, what you're getting out of them. So that, that really comes back to this sort of data idea, I think often of, do you understand the data in your organization, how it's created and how it flows through your environment. And what are those digital workflows and, and, and systems and processes that you use to get your job done? Because that is really critical for uh, good cybersecurity. You have to understand those things to make sure you're protecting it in the right way. 
so the, the future of work is not just the physical workspace or the technologies that support it, but how do we serve our uh, agency customers? Um, also, how do we serve agency employees when they work in this environment? And, and until you really have a good sense, and I think agencies are developing this, a really good sense of, of how um, the work gets done and what it looks like and what the future ways to get work done, the, um, you know, being able to rethink and redesign processes to work in this environment, those are really critical steps to make sure that you're prepared to have strong, uh, strong cybersecurity posture. Jonathan Album, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks very much. I appreciate it being here. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about the president's management agenda and the other items Jonathan and I talked about in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. The 2022 edition of Fed Talks is less than two weeks away now. The federal CIO Claire Martirana and the DOD CIO John Sherman are just two of the high-level leaders in government, industry, and academia that you'll see there August 24th. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. Multi-factor authentication is one of the key pillars of the Office of Management and Budget's final zero-trust strategy. Security experts say identity management will play a critical part of the success of zero-trust in the federal government. Nick Lewis is Chief Information Security Officer at the Health Resources and Services Administration. On a video panel recently, he tells Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash the bad guys continue to threaten end-users. That includes our developers, um, through phishing and watering hole attacks. And so as we're seeing this, we are uh, really working to ensure that the developers are uh, receiving the proper training so that they're not being compromised uh, through these various attacks. And um, so our primary strategy is um, targeting risk uh, security training and enterprise development lifecycle application vulnerability review. And what we're doing with that is uh, we're focusing on that training to ensure that they're not being compromised, but we also are targeting that EPLC process to make sure that we are um, detecting vulnerabilities early in the process. Um, and we use a very a variety of tools to um, identify those issues, um, including static application uh, security testing, dynamic application security testing, and interactive uh, application security testing uh, before the various stage gates, uh, so that we we find it early and take care of it early. And we also uh, leverage a tool to look at our open source uh, repositories or the open source repositories to ensure that we're not adding more vulnerabilities because we're leveraging uh, open source. So we're moving towards continuous integration and de delivery. And so we're hoping to automate that more and more so that the tests are completed uh, quickly and we're able to review quickly. Nick Lewis of HRSA, later in the conversation, he explains why the CDM program is one of his biggest assets. What it did was it provided a mechanism whereby DHS could help uh, implement brand new tools in the environment by DHS paying for those tools for the first two years. And then we were able to take advantage of, the, of them and move forward without that, that budget constraint. And that really opened up the door to um, us moving forward 
and getting the tools necessary to secure the environment. But then uh, by leveraging uh, CDM tools, we were able to start the process of meeting the Zero Trust Initiative by DHS providing an endpoint detection and response tool. Um, the OMB mandate uh, 2209, uh, moving US government towards zero trust uh, security, uh, cybersecurity principles is really a game changer. It really makes a big difference because of the it's it's redefining what security means within the federal government. Um, it's it's doing a great job of actually telling us what we need to focus on and target, and it's also um, identifying areas that we may not have thought of. It's including um, the mandate M twenty one thirty one, which is the logging mandate. Um, and that logging mandate really identified the specific logs that the incident response teams need, as well as the application logs that are necessary to ensure that we are not being compromised. And so um, I've made a few of them, but in all of those, it's really helping us to identify the areas for um, HRSA to ensure that the security of the environment is uh, being taken care of. I just wanted to touch a little bit more on that zero trust because it's such a game changer in the way that um, you know we operate and we function, and it really is a journey. And I always tell my staff that it takes baby steps, and those baby steps really start to add up. And um, through this program, we're we're welcoming um, you know inspection of our websites and opening up the mindset of our development team. And we're also um, starting this process of uh, making sure that immutable workloads are being um, you know inspected. So as we are looking ahead, one of the challenges is that the the fact that it's not just tools that we'll need uh, to make, make this journey. It's really, we have to augment our staff and make sure that we're getting the right people. And so uh, the biggest challenge of, uh, that we see is that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find that talented individuals for the federal government. And so what we're doing is we're just, um, you know, working on new ways of recruiting staff and um, really putting in the initiative so that we can have the right people uh, using the right tools to actually meet all of these zero trust requirements and, in fact, security environment. Um, the outcome is really that if HRSA is secure, then we can be assured that, you know, provider relief funds and all of the other things that we support is readily available. Nick Lewis, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Health Resources and Services Administration on a video panel with my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch the video of the entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available now on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns Monday. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.